So, if you have a Bible with you, please open it to Exodus chapter 20, verse 17. Exodus chapter 20, verse 17. This is the last of our Ten Commandments series. And um, for some of you, you may be going like, what's the deal? Why are we in the Ten Commandments? Isn't there like a contradiction? Isn't law the opposite of grace? Isn't Jesus about grace? Well, yes, if we mean we're trying to get saved by our performance, right? Then, then really, the way we're saved is through Jesus dying for us and forgiving our sin and placing our faith in him. That's how we're saved. But the question is, how do we flourish as human beings right now? How do we start living a fuller life, uh, full of joy and, and right relationships? The answer is, as Jesus told us, he came to fulfill the law, not abolish it. And so the law of God are sort of like the instruction manual for how your life works, okay? It, we all know. We toss the instruction manual. We're like, what? It's really all wrong. I can't assemble this thing, right? That's kind of the idea. It's not salvation. It is a path of flourishing. So let's pray before we get going. Lord Jesus, I pray that we would see again the beauty of your law and that your word would have the effect of reorienting our hearts and our lives so that we would have greater trust in you, greater love for you, and greater harmony in our relationships. In Jesus' name, amen. So Exodus 20, 17 says, starts with this, you shall not covet. Now it goes on, don't forget that, but we trip right there, most of us. What does covet mean? It's not a word we use. What do we mean by covet? Is it like desire? Yes, but more. I, so I used to be in a band and we used to tour around and one of the places we would frequently play was this, this like hockey arena in Hershey, Pennsylvania. And I, you know, we went there like eight times or something and, and from the entrance of the hockey arena, you could see the Hershey factory. Like it was just a half mile away. There it was, Hershey's chocolate, right? And I'm a bit of a chocolate junkie. I should take the bit out. I'm a chocolate junkie. Anyway, uh, so they have a tour there that you can go on and it's like you get in this little people mover car and it takes you around a sort of model factory with the real machines and real chocolate and all that. But you know, they show you, hey, here's where we get the beans and, and then they show you the, the machine where they start baking or roasting the beans and it starts to... Um, I'm getting a little... <laughs> it, start, it starts to smell like chocolate and you're like, ooh, chocolate smell. And then... Then they, they show you where they break the beans and get the nibs out and mash it up into a powder. And then they, they take you past these gigantic vats, right? And it's, it's delicious looking. You know, it's this huge, gigantic industrial vat with the things stirring around. And it's just full of melted chocolate. And they're adding, okay, I'm really getting excited for chocolate now. They're, get, they're adding milk and sugar to it. And it's really starting to smell like milk chocolate. And then these huge rolling machines where they're all covered in, everything's covered in chocolate. You're getting the picture everywhere you go. Like the smell is getting stronger and stronger and it's looking delicious, right? And by the time you get to the part where the machine's like squirting out the, the Hershey's Kisses and wrapping them up, you're like, oh my gosh, I've never wanted a bar of chocolate more than, than right now. 
and, and by the time you're, you're like getting to the end of it, you're ready to murder somebody for a, for a bar of chocolate, and it drops you at the concession stand. Really, literally, as you come off the thing, there's this big Hershey's concession stand. You can get whatever you want. And like the impetus with which you charge that stand, right? You are not only desiring it, but it's moving you to action, determined action. That is coveting. And you get that, like they literally have these chocolate shakes that I'm not even sure it's like a milkshake. I think it's just liquid chocolate. You literally inhale chocolate because that's what you want to do by the time you're done with that tour, okay? So it's not just desire. Coveting is desire that motivates to action. It's something that you long for. And the moment you can lay hands on it, you will do so, okay? And so there's nothing actually wrong with desire. There's actually nothing wrong with coveting. This verse does not say do not covet. It says what? Do not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife. It's not the desire. It's not the coveting that's the problem. It's the direction. It's where it's pointed. Okay? Because when we misdirect our strong desires, we end up desiring things that we should not. And that destroys relationships. It causes us to do unethical, dishonest things to get the thing our heart desires. It causes us to have sexual desire pointed in, the, in a direction it should not. And we all know the pain that that can cause. It leads to eating disorders. It leads to crime. It leads to addiction. This really, the, the Ten Commandments have two bookends. The first one of worshiping other gods, you can't break commandments ten, 2 through 10 without breaking 1. You also can't, can't break commandments 1 through 9 without breaking 10. Right? Desire and misdirected desire is behind all, uh, all of the ways in which we walk outside of God's will. So we are going to go through this commandment just like the rest of them, right? Like a dartboard. When I play darts, I aim for the center. I aim for the center. If I hit the center, super happy, that's where I was aiming. If I'm wide of the center, still on the board, still very happy with that shot, totally counts. And if I hit the wall, then that's out of bounds. So this, this command, like most of the commands, tell us where the wall is, right? Just because you have not desired what you shouldn't hit the wall doesn't mean that you've fulfilled this commandment in love. In the same way that just because you don't murder somebody does not mean that you have shown, hit the bullseye and, and fulfilled love in valuing, valuing human dignity fully, right? So we're going to go through it. What does it mean to break it? What does it mean to keep it? What does it mean to fulfill it? So wall, board, bullseye, all right? So what does it look like to hit the wall with your desire? It's to desire, it's to covet what we shouldn't, okay? First of all, it's to covet what belongs to someone else. The rest of this verse says, you shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male servant or his female servant or his ox or his donkey or anything that is your neighbor's. That is, don't covet what isn't yours, 
Second, it's to, it's to covet in such a way that we would harm someone else for it. Romans 13, 9 through 10 says this, For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and any other commandment are summed up in this word, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfilling of the law. So if love is the fulfilling of the law, doing harm to one's neighbor to get something you desire, whether that's through theft or defrauding or whatever, would be hitting the wall, even if you wanted something good. And lastly, it's to desire something which replaces God, to desire something which replaces God. Colossians 3.5 says this, Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. So you see, there's a one-to-one between covetousness and idolatry. It's something that becomes a functional God. What do I need to get through the day? I need more of those cookies that are from Trader Joe's. That's what I need. That's, my, that's what makes me okay. What do, I, what do I need to make my life complete? Just one more new gadget from Amazon. That's what. Right? These things become functional gods. We put the thing that makes us okay, the thing that makes us get up in the morning and get through a day is something besides God. So that's the wall to desire something we shouldn't. There are so many examples of this in our everyday lives and throughout history, but there's one in particular I thought of that, that really displays this. Back in 1922, um, there was a First Nations indigenous tribe named the Osage. And the Osage at that time were the wealthiest per capita people on planet Earth. They, like most other indigenous tribes, were forced off their, their ancestral lands into a corner of Oklahoma. It just so happened that the corner of Oklahoma they were forced into had some of the richest oil reserves on the continent. And the, the, just the, the royalties from pumping oil made them all fabulously wealthy. I got a picture of like, they, they had chauffeurs and whatnot. There they are, balling. That's a, that's a picture from that time, right? We're talking about building mansions, you know, chauffeured cars. They were the richest folks on planet Earth per capita. But something strange started happening. There was a woman named Molly Burkhart who was prominent among them. And uh, she was unusually married to a white man. That was very, very unusual in those, ti- those times, a guy named Ernest Burkhart. And the first strange thing that happened was her sister's house was bombed. And then her mother was poisoned. And incidents like that kept happening. There was, there was somebody trying to hurt them, and it was no one like it was not obvious. It was very clandestine, and so the it got a little stranger because there was an oil man, a white oil man, who was friendly with the Osage. He was like, "What's going on here?" And he actually got on a train to go to D.C. to tell the federal government what was going on, and someone needs to check it out. And they found his body in a ditch next to the train. Someone had thrown him off. Finally, word does get to D.C., and a young lawman named Herbert Hoover, you might have heard of him, looks into it, creates a new branch of investigation called the FBI to find out what is going on in Osage Nation. 
And what they uncovered was base treachery. You see, the, as you can imagine, the white neighbors of the Osage were not super happy that they were next to the richest people on earth and it was an indigenous tribe. And so they hatched a plan. Right? So, so far, they're desiring something that belongs to someone else, right? They want their wealth. So what do they do? It turned out that Molly Burkhart's husband and many of the other men who had married, white men who had married Osage women, had launched a conspiracy which included marrying them, having children with them, all in an attempt to get their hands on their wealth and then do away with them. Okay? Like, that, that is misdirected desire. They wanted what belonged to someone else so bad that they would break every commandment in the book and, and, and literally marry somebody and have children with them in an effort to take what is not theirs. Actually, Scorsese's making a movie about it now, starring Leo DiCaprio. You didn't even have to see it, I just told you. <laughs> Let me ask you this. Has desiring what you shouldn't desire ever truly made you satisfied? I'm not talking about, oh, you know, you've got the Taylor Swift album. That's cool. I'm going to get the Taylor Swift album. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about something that properly belongs to someone else, their life, their home. Oh, I just went and saw my friend's garage, and now I'm so disappointed that my house doesn't have a garage. Or, man, they look good in a swimsuit. I don't look that good in a swimsuit. I'm going to obsess and obsess and obsess until I look nearly that good in a swimsuit. Boy, they've got money like I don't. I really want to get money like that. Or they've got a car. They've got like the new Tesla. Man, my beater just doesn't look good to me anymore. Has that sort of, like we all do that, Okay. Like, let, let's recognize, this is in every one of our hearts. We desire what we should not. Has it ever helped? Has it ever done anybody a lick of good? Has it ever brought satisfaction or joy or contentment or anything else? No. And, and, and here's the other thing. Is it's not, it's not a small thing, guys. Remember, Paul tells us that coveting, this, this, this misdirection of desire, is actually a God replacement. This is a spiritual detriment. When we feel that desire for someone that's not our spouse, for something that doesn't belong to us, for a life that we don't have, things that truly don't belong to us, those are indicators that you've got a functional God there. If your heart is reaching every time you feel that emptiness. It's reaching for a drink of something or some sort of dopamine hit. Right? You've got a functional God operating there. So what is it to be on the board, off the wall and onto the board? What does it mean to keep the commandment? Well, it's to retrain desire, to retrain desire, first of all, by abstaining. 1 Peter 2.11 says this, Dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles to abstain 
from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. This isn't a little thing. When we find ourselves reaching for a God substitute, when we find ourselves dissatisfied with what God has given us, there's a spiritual battle going on. And the, the first thing we do is we don't take the bait. We abstain. And second, we choose contentment. Philippians 4, 11 through 13 says this, Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. That has nothing to do with hitting a home run, guys. Right? What Paul is talking about, the power of Christ allows him to be what? Content. If he has enough, if he has more than enough, if he has not enough, he knows how to be content because of his spiritual center, which is Jesus. We need to retrain desire. That's what it means to be on the board, to, to not respond, to abstain when you feel that hook in your chest pulling you towards that thing, asking you to, 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 to put your hopes on it, to say this purchase, this pleasure, this bonbon is going to be the thing that finally satisfies my soul. Don't fall for it. Now, it's harder than it sounds, right? Like, this is a battle, as Peter says. So it's, it's a war. I remember the, the, um, the night I got married was the last time I smoked cigarettes. Sharon's like, I want you to live. Stop smoking. And, and so I quit. And it was, it, it was tough because my desire was trained for cigarettes. A trained desire is a habit. You know, I'd open a book. I'm like, smokes. Coffee in the morning, smokes. It, before I go to bed, smoke. Everything. My desire was trained. I have to think about it, like, right? And the odd thing was, is I, I quit, and I started having pain in my jaw, like my jaw was at a joint. And this is no joke. A few days into this, our first week of marriage, I had a dream. I, I had a dream that I was sitting in my living room with my back against the couch, and there was a shoebox across the room. And I knew in that shoebox there was a pack of smokes. And I was just like saying, okay, there's a pack of smokes there. I'm cool. I'm not going to go get them. And in my dream, the shoebox starts trembling. No joke. It starts trembling. And I'm like, oh, snap. And, and then it starts really shaking hard. And the, guys, I'm not lying here. In the dream, I went into like a full seizure. Like my, my jaw clenched up. Every muscle went into seizure. I woke up in the middle of the dream. And I was completely fine after that. No, no jaw pain or anything, right? That desire did not go down without a fight. It took retraining, okay? Took abstaining and choosing contentment instead. When we feel that desire pulling us towards a God replacement, pulling us towards something that, that belongs to someone else, something that, is going to, that we're going to do something dishonest for or irresponsible for, right? Like, oh... Sure, it'll bust my budget, but, you know, I'll look awesome in that top. I need it. It's to choose not to respond, to retrain that desire. The more we practice not acting on a desire, the weaker the impulse becomes. Our culture lies to us, folks, saying that if you have an impulse, you must satisfy it. If you have a sexual impulse, you must go satisfy it. That's the only way to be human. 
it isn't. The more we retrain, the more we abstain, the more we retrain the desire. And choosing contentment instead. It's a spiritual exercise, guys. You know, you feel the desire to look at something you shouldn't on the internet. You feel the desire, oh, that person's spouse is so much better than mine. Their house is so much better than mine, or what have you. To choose contentment, to be satisfied with what you do have. To say, my body is the one God wants me to have. My hairstyle (laughs) is the one God wants me to have. (laughs) Right? This is what God has for me. This is the person God has for me. I don't need to look like an underwear model. My body's healthy. My car runs and it works. I don't need the new Tesla. Even though those things are dope. (laughs) My house is sufficient. I don't need the dream home. I can be content with what I have. Now, simply controlling our desire is not the ultimate goal. It's the first step of getting off the wall and onto the board. But what does it look like to nail the Tenth Commandment. What does it look like to fulfill it in love? Okay, little thought experiment with me. Just, just go with me real quick. This comes to us from, from uh, St. C.S. Lewis, who, uh, who was a really brilliant person. And he, he, he said that, you know, we have this desire for food called hunger, and lo and behold, there's food to satisfy it, correct? And then we thirst, which is the desire for water, and there is a thing called water that that satisfies that desire. And loneliness is the desire for companionship, and lo and behold, there are companions to fulfill this desire. But then we get to this desire for ultimate fulfillment, right? This longing for something greater, this longing for there to be a meaning to our lives, a purpose to our lives, an ultimate satisfaction, and then the world says, nope, that's that's all hocus pocus. Really, all, really, it's just all you can throw in that desire and that hole in your heart is drink and pleasure and living for the now. There's lots of, lots of movies made about this. Don't look for something beyond. Look for something imminent that's right here and try and fulfill your desire with that. But wouldn't that be odd if there was such a thing as hunger and no such thing as food? Right? So this, this desire that we find ourselves wrestling with It has a proper direction, and that is towards God. C.S. Lewis says this, If we consider the unblushing promises of reward and the staggering nature of the rewards promised in the Gospels, it would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures, fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us, like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. We are far too easily pleased. The bullseye, the the proper direction of your ultimate desire is God himself. To fulfill the tenth commandment is to retrain our desire until we covet God. Until the longing of our soul is directed at the one who satisfies our soul. And we see this all over Scripture. 
Sometimes I wonder if the psalmists were a different species because we don't have this depth of spirituality. Look at how they long to know God. Psalm 42, 1 through 2 says this, As a deer pants for flowing streams, so my soul pants for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? The same passion with which we talk about a beach vacation, the psalmist is talking about going to worship and know God more. That we, we should desire to desire like that, right? To know God and also to delight in God. Psalm 37, 3 through 4 says this, Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and befriend faithfulness. Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Now, that verse gets really misused, where people are like, well, if I just follow God, I'll get a caddy, right? That's not what it's saying. It's saying, if God is what you desire, if God is your delight, then you will get your heart's delight. It's to covet God. That strong desire that motivates to action, to covet knowing God and delighting in God and also in our lifestyle, in following God. You guys have probably heard this verse if you've read the Bible some. Matthew 5, 6 says, blessed are those. Jesus says, blessed are those who, what? Hunger and thirst for what? Righteousness. For they shall be satisfied. How many of us burn to live a life of righteousness? as opposed to a life of leisure or pleasure. But the path of satisfaction is not in directing your desire to pleasure and leisure and other things. It's to redirect our desire towards a path of righteousness. Now, if you're like, oh, I don't do any of that, neither do I, <laughs> right? This is the aspiration. This is where we're aiming, okay? We want to get, we want to hit the bullseye. We often don't. We rarely do. We're going we're gonna to hope to spend most of our walk with God on the board, and we are going to repent when we hit the wall, right? That's how all of these commandments work. Now, real quick, am I saying that if you haven't eaten in 10 hours and you just ran a 10K and you're like, oh, I'm so hungry. I'm like, well, brother, what you need is time with the Lord. You're like, no, I'm pretty sure I need a burrito, right? Like there are, there are specific appropriate desires, hunger. Like there are some who disagree and go and fast and whatever. That's fine. But like the, that, that desire for soul satisfaction, you're not eating to fulfill hunger. You're eating to feel better. You're eating to have some pleasure and some joy or because your day was boring and... Now you need something. I don't want to crush you guys by saying that aspirations are a requirement. Okay? That is where we should be aiming. We should hunger and thirst for, to know God, to delight in God, and to follow God. Why? It, it, it's not because God wants to ruin our fun. It's because God wants us to actually be flourishing, satisfied creatures. We were made to desire, to, to desire God. And so when we point that desire for fulfillment at something else, it is not going to fill us up. It's going to lead us in very negative, soul-destroying directions. 
It's an amazing thing when your design meets with its object. We used to have a, a dog named Harriet, and some of you met Harriet. She was a Labrador, and Harriet was a, a high-energy dog, and I remember the first time I took her to the water. She was pretty skittish, but I, I threw the ball just in the water, and she kind of like, she, she couldn't resist chasing that ball, and she would just kind of like get the ball and come back, and I'd throw it a little further, and she'd get like a paw wet, and further and further and, until she was actually going into the water, like up to her, whatever these are called, elbows on a dog, I guess. And then, and then finally I threw it out where she couldn't get it uh, without swimming. And there was a split second I saw on, in her body, like panic, because she lost contract with the ground. But immediately, right, like her, a Labrador's design, they have webbed toes, so they're like paddles and they have a propeller tail that's super strong, and if you've ever been hit by a lab tail, it will break your shins, right? Everything about a lab is designed to retrieve out of the water. And so there was this split second where she panicked, and then she's like, oh, dang, I was built for this. And she got the ball and brought it back. I've never seen this dog so excited, and I couldn't throw that ball out there long for, uh, 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 enough for her. Like, I had to make her stop or she was gonna drown because her design met its object. We were designed to desire God. Let's not settle for these half-hearted substitutes. Pray with me.